0: All God's children said, amen, thank you. Turn around, and say hello to someone, and then please be seated. All right, good to have a crowd out tonight. Good to have folks viewing on YouTube and Facebook. And today we have a bulletin from this morning. It is Beautiful Flowers and God's Bouquet. You can tap the right place and get a digital copy as well. Thank you for the good offerings that you've been bringing in. Not only tithes and offerings, but our special offering using the love offering envelope for our African church. If you can help us out to reach $9,000, we'll build a church in East Africa in Kenya. Going to do that, planning on doing that. As you exit tonight, if you haven't picked up your June, July, August days of praise, take as many copies as you can use. We also have Acts and Facts, and my wife says Planned to get disgusted when you look at the snake eating the alligator or the alligator eating the snake or whatever it is in there. It's pretty graphic, I tell you what. It's reality, though. All right. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Say amen. Thank you for the good response that we've received from people who are saying, yes, we are back. Uh, today I had a man come by who hasn't been back since this whole thing started, and guess what? He brought by his tithes again, and said, I'll be back to stay next Sunday. Isn't that good news? Praise God and amen. All right. We want to take our stand for Jesus, and we want to be the church that's actually in attendance. Now, I know there's some folks, because of illness and other circumstances, people who live out a distance, they can't be with us all the time. And we're going to continue to have our IT outreach, aren't we? We're going to continue to to make that available, but we're going to build up and fill every spot in the church house for the cause of Jesus Christ. We're going to fill every spot in areas of service uh, out of this church, the Lord helping us. We're going to go forward for Him. Amen. Take your Bible tonight and please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. The question that is being asked is, are we trustworthy? Are we trustworthy? Can the Lord depend on us. That's the question, and tonight we're going to hopefully answer that question. First Thessalonians and chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Will you find with me verse number three? Verse number three. For our exhortation, Paul says, "Was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel." Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Paul is saying, when he began to minister in Thessalonica, he preached and he taught, and he preached and he taught the truth. That is the truth of God's Word. Do you know that every word in the Bible is true? And the Apostle Paul believed that, and so do we. And then he taught about the truth. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And then he taught truthfully. He didn't mishandle the word of God as some people mishandle it. His exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in God. We see, first of all, what it was not. He is declaring that he is telling the truth. And he's telling the truth about the truth in a truthful way. That's the way to declare ourselves. Let everybody know that there's no question about it. And then he tells what it was. They were allowed of God. There is, there is God's uh, uh, stamp of approval. God honored Paul as he honors us to handle the highest and holiest of all uh, truth, all the messages in the world. We have this high and holy a message to deliver, put in trust with the gospel. The gospel is, of course, that. Christ died, was buried, and rose again according to the Scriptures. And this is not just about the facts, but it has to do with the spread of the gospel. It has to do with the ministry of the gospel. Not as pleasing men. The way we do it is the way that pleases God. He's the one that tries the hearts. When you read about the believers in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, we read that these believers were produced by a ministry that was upright. And what you get from that is upright, mature believers who are bold and truthful and uh, both uh, faithful and meek and gentle. And they witness the truth. They're students of the Word of God. Even though they're persecuted, they they are rejoicing. Praise the Lord. That kind of virtuous product result comes from a virtuous ministry. There are all kinds of preachers out here. Now somebody might say, I like such and so preacher. I like such and so ministry. And they're attracted by uh, the glitz, the glamour, the music, uh, the presentation. But over time you'll see what kind of a ministry it is. And that kind of a ministry will produce a kind of fruit. By their fruit ye shall know them. False teachers will ultimately be revealed by the fruit that they produce. You're going to see it sooner or later. I want you to notice the phrase in verse number 4, put in trust with the gospel. This is a holy investment, a show of approval, a stamp of, of approval upon the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's one that we should have as well. I can recall a famous evangelist once briefly made me the executor of his will, his estate. Now this was before his family members had proven themselves to be trustworthy. So in the absence of a trustworthy family member, this world-famous evangelist made me the executor of his will, of his potential estate. I was placed in trust with it until his son proved to be trustworthy. There was a family that once included us in their will specifying that we were to raise their kids if something happened to them. Now, those kids are now fully grown and have kids of their own, but we were placed in trust. We were considered to be trustworthy. Uh, Dr. Hancock uh, said some very special things to me before he passed away. Placed me in trust with some things. You remember he sent me his shoes and I was to take his shoes into the pulpit, which I did at his funeral. It was a a very sober moment when I talked about what he entrusted me with and what he told me to do. My father entrusted me with the ministry. I was with him in two places. We ministered with him. But in the second place that we ministered, he entrusted the ministry to me, resigned, retired from that ministry, left it to me. The question is, are we truly trustworthy? Are we truly worthy of having the ministry placed in our hands. The Apostle Paul went to Thessalonica and probably in the year 51-52 50, wrote from Corinth to the Thessalonians. We know this because according to Acts chapter 18, uh, Luke writing the book of Acts says that Gallio was deputy, deputy of Achaia when Paul was arrested in Corinth, and we have another inscription that says that was between 50-51 A.D., so around 50-51-52 is when Paul wrote from Corinth back to the Thessalonians this important book. He commends their strong faith and their love and their hope as we are going to see. He answers charges that are made against him. He had fake news in those days, too. He encourages them to stand even in the face of persecution, and he says, "Jesus is coming all in this little book of First Thessalonians. Those Thessalonians were well off. It was a city of 200,000. It had a, a beautiful natural harbor and was the center of commerce. There was lots of money flowing there. There was lots there was lots of population, a lot of people coming through and so forth. A strategic location to have a ministry. The Apostle Paul followed this pattern. He would go to the population centers. And like the mountain peaks, he would establish a ministry. And from there, the ministry would spread out uh, into the valleys, as it were. And uh, there would be those that would be his converts that would become ministers. And that is the way he conducted his ministry. It's still a good way to conduct a ministry. For three Sabbaths, He was uh, teaching them. He was put out of the synagogue. He then went into the homes. He had to flee for his life. Uh, Most of the converts in Thessalonica were Gentiles. A large number of devout Greeks, uh, those who got sick and tired of, of of the immoral lifestyle of society, had turned to Jesus Christ. And he was serious. Paul was serious about building up this church, establishing a ministry in Thessalonica. That's why he said he was put in trust with the gospel. Again, I ask the question, are we trustworthy? Can we be entrusted with the ministry? As we reopen some ministries here, as we go forward in transition, can we be trusted with the ministry? God has given us time to think about and consider how we're going to conduct the ministries that He's given to us. The question is, are we, as individuals, trustworthy so He can entrust that to us? Father, fill me now with the Holy Spirit. I pray for each one here. Help us as we delve into the Word of God. Help us to move forward with it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not everybody that we consider to be a potential protege to be taught, to be trained, to be worked with, always has everything on the ball that we think they ought to have on the ball. They don't always have both oars in the water, so to speak. You know, after, <clears throat> after they sent the rover to Mars, somebody said they wanted to send a, a rover that they were going to send it to the sun. And they said, you can't send it to the sun. It'll burn up. They said, no, you don't understand. We're going to send it at night. And uh, there are people that just don't get it sometimes. When you're dealing with When you're dealing with folks, you deal with all different levels of intelligence and all different levels of ability. And you know what? God can use all different levels. I've I've told you about the young man down in Alabama. And he was, I guess, maybe one burrito short of a combination plate. But he loved Jesus. He had gotten saved. And uh, he said he wanted to do something for God. And he decided he was going to go out and get a car, get a license, get a car, and bring people in. To the ministry. I didn't think he was capable of passing the test. But he went out, passed the test. I don't know how many times it took him, but he passed the test. Went out and bought a car. kind of car that when you drive it down the road, it leaves parts in the road. But he bought a car. And the first Sunday, he drove up. I'm not kidding you. This is not made up. He drove up that first Sunday. And it must have been it was like a clown car. Because the people just getting out of that car. There's all kinds of people getting out of the car. And every one of them was just like he was. People attract their own kind. So he, he, they were getting, and they were, you know, they're all just a little different. God loves them all. Amen. Amen. I said, That's wonderful. He says, Yeah, I got two more loads to get. And he went out and filled it up and brought them in. And that's okay. That's all right. God wants us to fill up the house. He wants to go out. He wants us to knock on doors. He wants us to invite people. He wants us to win souls to Jesus Christ. He wants us to consider the ministry uh, something that is a tr- of a trust. He's entrusted it to us. The Thessalonian believers eventually became a great church. And they became a model for all of us. I want us to go back to chapter number 1. Will you go back there with me? As he begins chapter number 1, He says, Paul, he signs his name in Silvanus. That's Silas. It's long for Silas. And Timotheus. That's long for Timothy. Unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only... that makes our church special, that we are in Jesus Christ. We have that relationship. And grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. There it is. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God this is a church that's all shook up all stirred up stirred up by faith we need to be a church that's stirred up by faith we believe what God says; just believe it absolutely and completely number two they were stirred up by love we need to be a church that that loves because God loves us first loved us we want to love everybody regardless of who they are where they've come from what they've done And we want to be the church of the second chance. Number three, they were stirred up by hope. They had an expectation, an anticipation that Jesus would come back. And it's a church that was chosen by God. These believers were chosen before the foundation of the world. They were chosen in Christ. Now, we want to pick it up from there. Verse Verse number five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. That church became a strong church because they had a strong beginning. They had a strong foundation. You don't hold back when you begin to preach. I was taught in Bible college, when you go out to candidate, when you go out to start a ministry, when you go out to do a work for God, you give them them that toughest message. You you preach the hardest message, and if they can tolerate that, they can tolerate anything. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're not trying to offend anybody. We're not trying to drive anybody away. But we're not going to soft-soap anybody either. We're not going to minimize the truth. We're not going to pare it down and cut it down and make it less than what it is. But rather, we're going to present it just as it is, in power, in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And then notice how this thing works. Verse 6, "...and ye became followers of us and of the Lord." That's it. People don't know how to follow the Lord unless they've got a role model. We want to be that kind of spiritual role model. Having received the word in much affliction with the joy with joy of the Holy Ghost. So people, they see us, we're going through life. We're facing the difficulties. We're standing up for Jesus Christ. That makes other people want to stand up for Jesus. Verse 7, so that you were and samples. Now it doesn't say examples, it says ensamples. And, and even though some people... In their cut-down dictionaries, will say end samples, just an old-fashioned way of saying examples. There is a fine line of difference between an n sample and an example. An end sample is an example, but it's much more than that. It's an example which is a high watermark. So an end sample that means you're, you're really looking up to somebody. It's someone that you can say, why, well, they're really living the Christian life. They're really following Jesus. They're really believing what the Bible says, they're really going forward. For Jesus Christ they're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ those are the kind of role models we need not not soft-spoken people not people that are uh, backward and and laid-back and not doing the work of the Lord so they were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia so all through that region north of Greece for from you sounded out the word of the Lord not only in Macedonia and Achaia but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. I heard a man preach a message and it was entitled The Church That Kept Paul Quiet. The Church That Kept Paul Quiet. Paul didn't have to brag on them because their reputation had preceded them. They were the kind of people that it was known that they were saved. They were born again people. They were missionary hearted. They were strong in the faith. They were repentant. They were separated. They were looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. There's repentance. And to wait for His Son. There's the coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven whom He raised from the dead. Even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. A high water mark. and We praise God for that high water mark. There are times when our testimony speaks louder than words. How important is it? It's all important. So we come back to the second chapter again. For yourself, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. It it fulfilled a purpose. But even after that we had suffered before we were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. Serving the Lord is never in vain. Serving the Lord will always reap eternal results. Living for Jesus will really, uh, will really impact our world more than anything else. There is a purpose for what we go through. For as we go through it and we are trusting the Lord, we're walking by faith and we're experiencing Whatever it is that we are going through, people are watching us. They're examining us closely to see if what we're saying is matching up with what we're doing and what we're living. The bottom line is that people should preach and, and live the Word of God equally. Preach it and live it. Proclaim it and be an example, a high watermark and sample. For the Lord. There it is. May God grant it. They were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Last Sunday evening, we talked about those special verses that we saw in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. I want to go back there for just a moment and just touch on these because it does fit together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is describing some of the afflictions that he experienced. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully. There we have it again. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We have the truth. We know the person who is the way, the truth, and the life. And we handle the Word of God in a manner which is truthful. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. The gospel then embodies more than just the facts of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. But the gospel also embodies the entire ministry of sharing that truth, those facts, with others. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. There it is. Now if you move on down to the end of this chapter, after considering what Paul went through, the light afflictions that he experienced were not so light. He was... Treated, mistreated very badly uh, throughout his ministry. Severely beaten, uh, shipwrecked numerous times, even even one more time than we have in the lists that are given. And uh, he lived through all kinds of perils among men and wild animals in the city, in the country, uh, at sea. Wherever he was, he was always in danger He didn't worry about the robbers. He didn't worry about the the heathen, the false brethren, the liars, the people who slandered him, the periods of hunger and thirst and sleeplessness, all of those things that we read about here and over in the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, those things, those things were not considered to be so great that that was his focus. For the Apostle Paul, he says this, he says, In verse 16, For which cause we faint not? But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, why is it a light affliction? Because his focus was upon Jesus Christ. He wasn't looking at his problems. He was looking at his Savior. And because he had his eyes fixed on Jesus, He was not distracted so that he was worried about his own comfort or lack of comfort, his own health or lack of health, his own treatment or mistreatment. He was concerned about pleasing the one who had called him to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, Our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, the problems, but at the things which are not seen. That's Jesus Christ. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. There's a greater, a higher, and nobler calling than the experiences that we're having here below. Paul was concerned about finishing his race. He was, he was concerned about finishing it, about finishing it right, about finishing it strong. That should be our concern. Our concern should be not how am I doing, how am I feeling, how are people treating me. That should never be our concern. Our concern should be I'm going to finish this race for Jesus Christ. Number two, I'm going to finish this strong. I'm going to finish it right. I'm not going to compromise along the way. I'm going to finish my race. Why? Because he was allowed to be put in trust with the gospel. The gospel, not just the facts, but the gospel ministry. He was put in trust with the representation of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He was an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He was given a ministry of reconciliation. This was a high, holy, and heavenly calling. He was saying, it is a privilege for me to live and suffer and even die if needs be for the cause of Jesus Christ. He was willing to do that, he was willing to put up with the pain and put up with, uh, with the uh, disenfranchisement and the discouragement that comes. He said, in effect, I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. I can't go back. I can't turn around. I can't give up. I've got to keep on going. I've got to finish my course. I've got to keep the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord has prepared for me. One day, Paul would hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. One day, he would experience that. In the meantime, what was he to keep on doing? Let's see it very quickly. As he says here in First Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, For neither, verse 5, At any time, use we flattering words, as ye know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness." So he wasn't just trying to make people feel good. He was using language to communicate the truth. What does Paul say over in Ephesians? But speaking the truth, what? In love. Sometimes speaking the truth in love is painful. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it it causes a moment of of unease to, to be able to deliver the truth, however, might be the means of a person getting something right that they wouldn't otherwise get right. He was willing to do that without flattery. We know what the book of Proverbs says about flattery, that it's a net spread for the feet. You get yourself all tripped up. How many people have been guilty of that? And in their flesh, attempting to make people hopefully like us so that they will listen to the rest of the story. Paul didn't worry about that. He just went straight to it and said, Here's the situation. I'm speaking the truth in love. No flattering words, nor a cloak of covetousness. He wasn't attempting to uh, self-aggrandize or make himself better off or give himself some advantage or give himself something because of the ministry. The ministry was not a means of Paul uh, enriching himself. He says, God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So what did he do? He did what he had to do. He worked at a job. He, he took care of business. He did what he had to do. He got the job done. God entrusted the gospel ministry to him, and he was willing to work a side job. He was willing to take care of business so that he would not be burdensome. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth, Her children. He lovingly presented the truth. It doesn't mean he backed off from it. It means that was his motivation. He loved, just like a mother lovingly denies a child that which will hurt their child. Lovingly gives them only that which is good for them. You know as well as I do as we are raising our children and now our grandchildren. You can't always give them everything they want. And you can't treat them in a manner that, uh, that we think will couch them, that will protect them or insulate them from a lesson that they need to learn. When a child does something, let's say on a lower level, that will eventually develop into a bad habit or a problem and later on could physically hurt them or even kill them or put somebody else in danger. We have to do the most, uh, the most extreme thing that we can do. We have to discipline And chastisement is never fun. But the Bible tells us about how that chastisement is to be carried out. A father, a mother who actually loves a child will not withhold chastisement because they know it's good for the child. Come on now. And the preacher who knows that the preaching is good for the people will preach even though it may at times be hurtful. Because it's good for the people to receive the the honest, clear preaching of the word of God. So Paul says he was like a gentle nurse cherishing the children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we're willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because ye were dear unto us. He's willing to give it all, to lay it all on the line. I know a few preachers, I know a few preachers, and these preachers have passed up opportunities which would have been personally uh, enriching to them. If they had left where they were and gone some other place, they could have been in the lap of luxury, but they stayed. That staying power, that staying put, that's, that's there for uh, one and only one person purpose and one reason. It's not for self. It is for, first of all, the glory of the Lord Jesus and then for the benefit of those with whom we are ministering. We stay. We keep on. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. So he's doing double duty right now on a faraway continent. There is one of our preachers who is ministering, and because the people are not in a position to financially support, he's deriving all of his support from those of us here in the States that would send that support. But that individual is there laboring night and day, getting very little sleep, having physical discomfort and problems, and being persecuted and hounded in a restricted country, and doing all of that for one reason, for one purpose, and that is for the cause of Jesus Christ. That's it, that's it. I don't know what the exact hour of the night or day it is where he is, but I know every waking moment between doing what he has to do to stay alive and to minister, he's translating the scriptures. I want you to think about that. Many times a missionary on a far off field has extra duty you don't think about here. I've got a whole Bible that's been translated right here in front of me. I don't have to translate it. I don't have to do that. But he has to translate the scriptures between times. May have to give up that third or fourth hour of sleep that they would normally get. Third or fourth hour. No more than four hours a night. Serving the Lord. Willing to do that. Your support, my support keeps them going. Our prayers keep them going. Do you pray for them? Do you think about them? There they are, like the Apostle Paul, who was working a side job, ministering full time, doing what he could for the Thessalonian Christians. He was not chargeable. He, he, he operated in such a manner so that no one could say, well, Paul took advantage of us. Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly And unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. He was deeply, deeply, heavily invested in the lives of those to whom he was ministering the gospel. For what purpose? To what end? Look at 1 Thessalonians 2.15. That ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Willing to suffer. Willing to go without. Willing to experience, experience pain and deprivation. Going through all of the different trials for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of those that he was ministering to. And he calls it our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul's attitude toward the work of the ministry ought to be our attitude. It's that kind of attitude that produces the kind of model Christians which were there at Thessalonica. Thank God for Paul. Thank God for the people that he produced. And thank God for those who will say, that's the kind of Christian I want to be. That's the kind of believers that I want to disciple. That's the kind of ministry that I want to have. That's the way I want to live and if necessary, die. But I'll be willing to suffer along the way and not complain and not talk about myself and not talk about what I've been deprived of, but instead stay focused on Jesus Christ so that affliction is just light affliction in my mind. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I've decided to follow Jesus. How about you? With heads bowed and eyes closed, how many of you will say, Preacher, something in that message challenged me or spoke to my heart. Raise your hand. Something in that message challenged me, spoke to my heart. Amen. God bless you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, we're going to give you an opportunity in a moment to come from where you are at the invitation and say, Lord, you've got me one more time, one more time. Lock, stock, barrel. I'm yours, entirely yours. I want to be a soul winner. I want to disciple others. I want to be a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, like the Apostle Paul. Maybe God spoke to you about some area of your Christian life, your walk. You want to walk worthy, and God spoke to you. We'll have a word of prayer about that. If tonight you don't know for sure that heaven is your home for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, would you pray from your heart to God right now something like this Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I want to receive Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Did you just pray that prayer? Did you mean it? If you prayed that prayer, would you slip your hand up? Anyone at all?